0: All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back or welcome to our show called Behind the Mask. I'm Chris and I'm here with Becca, as always. Um, so, today we've got the homie, the goat, the absolute, like, I don't even know what words to use for her, but I'll let her introduce herself to you guys. Her name is Marissa Heath. So, Marissa, introduce yourself to the people.
1: What's up, guys? Thanks for having me here. Um, my name is Marissa, like Chris said. Um, two individuals are awesome. It's a privilege to be talking with them today. Um, Yeah, so I currently, I go to grad school at the University of Pennsylvania for social work. Um, I graduated undergrad from Wheaton College out in Chicago, ran track there. I've done sports all my life. Um, Love, love the athlete world. And yeah, I also work in foster care adoption here in Philly with the Christian agency and keep busy with FCA, do some FCA stuff. I'm sure, I don't know if you guys are familiar with FCA, if you're listening, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. If you're not, get linked up. Um, it's an awesome, awesome organization. Becca and Chris are both involved. And so I do some FCA ministry at UPenn. So that's what I keep busy with and hanging out with Chris whenever she uh, is is nice to me.
0: <laughs> First of all, <laughs> You start off this show lying to the people, that is not how this works. Anyway, but yeah, no, super excited to have Marissa on. I think you guys are going to be super, uh, like, blessed to have this to listen to this episode. If you don't have a notepad next to you, get one because it's going to be like just dimes dropped everywhere. And we are continuing our unlearning series. We haven't done it in a minute. So for those of y'all who don't know, us, we're on this podcast called Behind the Mask to break the, like, kind of unveil what the mask is of the of what it is like to live as an athlete and as a Christian, how those two mix and kind of interact. Now, with our unlearning series, we know that there's unhealthy stuff we've learned through sport. There's even things that are questionable that you learn in within Christian culture, depending on where you grew up. And we hope to uh, kind of, unveil some of these unlearning things and then how we're actively going through that process now doesn't mean any of us are perfect we're just trying to process it together and today we're Marissa hit me with like five different topics but we said all of them were awesome but we settled in on this episode Um, we want to talk about unlearning having expectations of your body when you've transitioned to life after sport right so one, when we were playing, our expectations are one thing, and then what happens when we're after. So um, that's kind of what we're looking to talk about today. So Marissa, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What was going through your mind when you kind of came to me with this topic, and then where are you hoping to go with it?
1: So when you asked me this question about unlearning, definitely one of the topics that immediately came to mind was having kind of reorienting my relationship with my body. And that has been a process that happened actually over the course of being in sport, um, but also especially afterwards. And I think, you know, we can often be very judgmental of ourselves, of our bodies. And this can be in terms of appearance, in terms of performance related to our bodies. Um, And that can cause anxiety and a lot of pressure because our bodies are always changing. Even if you think about it, like even if given one year, um, in season, like when you're in season, when you're out of season in the beginning of the season to the, you know, to when you hit your peak and you're kind of strategic in honing your body to peak at the right time. And I was a track athlete, so there's not a whole lot of factors going into your performance, but your body, that's what it's all about you know, so if you eat something different, you're going to feel it. Um, and so you just become very keenly aware of, of your body, because that is the primary factors that are going to influence how you perform. Um, so for me, I have a whole journey with that and I can go into that at some point. I don't mind sharing now being out of that, but, um, like the relationship I had with my body was very complicated. And I came into, I came into Wheaton, I, okay. So when I was in high school, I did very well in track, I also played soccer. I didn't want to do sports in college, even though I could have at a pretty high level, I didn't want to, Um, but then I ended up playing, I ended up running track anyways. Um, I was like, I'm not gonna let this consume my life, but I'm gonna do it. Um, And freshman year I came in, did super well, got to all Americans, just like kind of surpass a lot of expectations that I had. Sophomore comes around much different story. I got really sick. Um, I was like, I gained a few pounds from being sick and not running and not doing anything and having like a lot going on in my life in terms of grief and, and a lot of stressors. And it was just a really, really, really difficult time and I started to be really resentful towards my body because I wasn't able to produce the same results. I wasn't as fast as I was my freshman year and I I would train so hard, but then I couldn't, um, I couldn't get to the same times that I was my freshman year. Um, And so I just, yeah, I just started to like hate, my body because I felt like I was at war with it and there was like a whole food aspect of that and um just feeling like because I couldn't produce the same performance then all of a sudden like I was I had this like enmity <laughs> with my own body and um yeah so then like being post-sport not running track anymore then kind of transitioning into like how do I not just view my body as a means to an end but like as a means in itself, because our bodies are always changing and therefore our expectations for our bodies need to adapt to that. It needs to reflect like, in and whether it's our life circumstances, whether it's being sick or healthy, whether it's our age, whatever it is, we have to be able to adjust our expectations for our bodies based on the things that are around us, not just looking at our body like, okay, I need to use this as a means to an end to whether that end is like receiving a, a opinion of somebody, the admiration, the attraction of somebody, or performing athletically, whatever it is, we have to realize that our body is a dwelling place for the Lord, and that means it's a means in an end in itself, not just a means to something. And so that kind of transition in my mind has been a journey, um, and just learning how to really try to adjust the expectations and the pressure I put on my own body based on the realities around me, and realizing like. I can fully walk in purpose, regardless of like the specific level of fitness my body's at, because I can still worship, you know, the spirit just still dwells in me. um, And it kind of changes your perspective in that way. So that was a really long answer. But those are my a few thoughts that went through my head when I was thinking about like, looking at your relationship with your body and how that process, having to unlearn certain perspectives and relationship I have in my body and views since sport and how yeah, That's continued even now, you know, it's still a process.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I have so many thoughts going back. So I'm going to let you respond first. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's so good and so important. Um, And Marissa, one of the things that like really got my wheels turning as you were talking is the conversation of seeing our bodies not as a means to an end, but an end in and of itself. Um, And I think that's something that it's really hard to kind of grasp in athlete culture. I know for me, like, that's something that I'm working through now. Like, how does that look? Um, And I know even sometimes in sports culture, when when we're trying to get away from the it's all about how my body looks so then we say well your body's not uh, your body's not an ornament it's an instrument you know but and then we go kind of to the other end of the spectrum and we see our bodies as this means to an end of okay my goal is excellence in this that or the other thing how can I use my body as the tool that gets there and I don't think inherently that's wrong I think that's what we do as athletes but some of the ways that that gets twisted and thwarted and um for lack of a better term like toxified kind of like tainted um I think can can create a lot of problems um and that's something that I've been working through on learning is just like What is, what is my mindset around my body? Why, you know, why am I training? Why am I, you know, all of these other things that, that come into play there.
0: Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, Bex. We had this conversation um, over voice message for the past, however long, just having various conversations over voice message, but the podcast that we were both listening to about like treating your athletes like they're machines and stuff like that as it relates to our, our relationship with our bodies. uh, there's some nuance in that conversation of talking about how we're kind of one dimensional. If we're only a machine that can only do one thing, but I think as it relates to this conversation, um, it's interesting because what, like, what happens when you're not a quote unquote well-oiled machine in, in a coaching context? Um, and something that when Tori was on the podcast talking about it, her experience through like her eating disorder when she was playing um, <clears throat> was trying to fit a certain mold of, of whatever the, yeah, like whatever the standard of athlete culture is for you to be successful. Something that she said when she was on is like, everybody is capable. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So when it, I mean, and I can speak for myself too in terms of this dysfunctional relationship with production and how your body looks or how your body's able to operate within production um, for you to produce rather has been super interesting, even as a coach. And I think this is a, a slightly, slight tangent and kind of uh, slightly related to this conversation, even as a coach being the model of, uh like what athletic excellence is supposed to be to your athletes. I think that's a, been a newfound struggle with my athletes of, we want our athletes to be fit and ready to go. Are we modeling it as coaches? And there's like a slippery slope there of like, what does fit look like? Is it just mean thin or what based off of your sport? Um, so I think at least recently for me within my sport in soccer of trying to get our athletes to be fit, We want to model good behavior, but we also got to be aware that we're not modeling uh, like kind of toxic mentalities toward what does actual fitness look like? Can you perform at the level you need to perform at? um, Not just try and get to whatever the mainstream standard of what you're supposed to look like is. So I had a question to ask both of you guys is that's kind of related to this topic of like So when you transition to life after sport, I often hear people say, you know, I just want to get back to where I was when I was playing. I want to get back to being game fit, quote unquote, to where you were when you were playing 10 years ago for some people. Why? What about that statement could potentially be kind of problematic, dependent on your mindset? What do we think?
1: I think what that kind of signals to me is that that individual sense of self and identity and worth is tied into their identity as an athlete and their kind of the way that they felt, the way that they performed at their peak. And it doesn't have to be that way, but I find that, you know, a lot of athletes, because we pour so much into our sport, um, we make sacrifices, we discipline ourselves, we, hone our bodies um, that like, yeah, it becomes so much of our world and our sense of identity that when we become, when we kind of graduate out of it, out of sport, um, it's kind of like we feel as if there's a part of ourselves that's missing. And it's like, because we have this ideal of who we are that's so closely attached to that sport, we kind of feel like in order to feel ourselves, we need to be re- reflecting as much as we can, all the different ways that we lived, that we were when we were in that sport. Um, and so, part of that is like the physical aspect. It's like, well, I know this is my potential. So then, if I'm not like keeping up with that, I'm not, I'm not reaching my potential. Or that's so much a part of who I am that even though I'm not in a sport, like I have this expectation that I should still be at that level. Um, But I think there's a really it's interesting that you were saying you were sharing, Chris, about how as a coach, like you're kind of navigating that. Well, you know what? Part of your identity will always be like as a soccer player. But now you're a coach and that there's like a transition there. And I think like sometimes our bodies in a very healthy way can reflect our priorities and they're always going to be the same. There's like seasons of our lives where we have different responsibilities, we have different demands and. If our bodies are shifting, like even think of motherhood, whatever, like our bodies are going to change um, in a contingent way, sometimes de- depending on like what we are valuing most in our lives. And we have to realize that we can't put the fullness of our identity in fleeting things. Th- those are secondary aspects of who we are, like athlete, soccer player, track runner. And that's okay Um, We still want to work hard, we want to be healthy. That's totally fine. We're realizing like in different seasons of life, things change. The core of who we are is rooted in Christ. That always stays the same. So I have to realize like the foundation of our identity when it's held in something secure, we don't need to put the pressure on ourselves in different seasons of life to be physically at the same place that we were when we were actually actively a soccer player. We're actively in track. And that's okay because the different demands of life, the different responsibilities and priorities of life are shifting because that's a natural cycle of life. Um, And so you can always like cherish that time and still work hard, try to find like, what does it mean to be well balanced in your life in this season? And it's okay if it's different um, physically than how it was when you were in sport. So that was my thought.
0: Yeah, I think it, I think you bring up a really good point about like what the priority shifts. So I will say that, you know, <clears throat> moving into coaching, the priority, how I approach the sport is different when I'm coaching versus when I was playing. The competitiveness hasn't gone away. I think I'm more competitive than every athlete I coach. I don't you can ask them all. I don't care. If they're going to get roasted It's in the
1: blood. It's, it's in hard. the blood. It's <laughs> just what it is. It. <laughs>
0: so the competitiveness hasn't gone away, but my approach to the sport changes um in every aspect from a psychological aspect tech tech aspect from a physical aspect and even I think the perspective of what you can do within sport shifts when you're now trying to empower others to uh excel in their sport it's less about oh shoot I gotta get this xyz on fitness test which is what you're super concerned about when you're playing versus when you're a coach it's like mm, well this person's scoring goals for us we want them to pass fitness test but like they're scoring goals for us. So I think, yeah, to some extent the priority shifts and that's just from a coaching perspective, but I 100% agree with you that our priorities in life change. To some extent, there's a grieving process that happens when we move from actively playing to now retired old head who's not playing anymore. Like there's a grieving process that has to happen. And I think it's not just that, oh shoot, I'm not playing anymore. It's all of the other things that were associated with my identity while I was actively playing have to go through that transition process too. And I think often it's like example, you're going to go like apply for a job or something. And everybody's like hire athletes because they're hardworking, they're determined, they're disciplined, they're this, 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 and this. And it's like, cool, true. But it's not just, you can't just cherry pick the really positive things that are sometimes conditioned in a good way in sport and ignore the not so positive things that you're also going to bring into life after sport that make you a perfectly well-adjusted adult in one realm, but maybe not in another. And I think this is a, like a really good example of one where it's like, nobody people don't teach you how to have a good relationship with your body in sport. So when you transition after, it's not a it's not shocking that you also still have no clue how to have a good relationship with your body outside of sport. And I think the last thing before I shut up and let Beckett respond is like the foundation of how like the lens changes when your foundation is predicated on your relationship in Christ versus your performance in sport Right. The lens through which I view my life and my productivity shifts. I'm doing it for something different versus doing it for like out of out of a scarcity mindset, Bex, which you and I have talked about a bunch. So I think that too, easier said than done, for sure, is something that's always a process of unlearning of like, am I viewing this through like. I'm an athlete, but I'm a Christian who happens to play a sport. I'm a Christian who is a person who happens to play a sport, and that's the lens through which I view my life. Versus, I'm an athlete, and now everything gets viewed through that lens, and all my productivity gets viewed through that lens. And I think, yeah, this conversation and this topic, that's super important too. Like, how, what's the lens through which we view our lives? Because that also defines success, um, and that can affect our relationship with our bodies too. But anyway. I'll stop rambling, bex. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you have to say I
2: pre- I appreciate you going first because it gave me a little bit of time to to get my thoughts through my think tank. um sorry, booms having a meltdown in the back. Um, I think something that's also really important to consider and Marissa, you touched on this too of you know when you want to go back to that state that you're in physically, perhaps mentally, you know, that you're in when you're playing, I think we have to ask the follow-up questions of why, like, what are we looking for that we think going back to that place in this example, physically is going to give us that we don't have now. Um, And I think, you know, and I can't say across the board, but I think in a lot of cases, it doesn't really have anything to do with, physically how fit you are or physically how you look maybe but all the things that came from that and all like you guys were saying the identities and the you know all the things that came from that role that you were in when your body was in that state um and I think it's just it is a tough transition and it is to go through natural changes you know female athletes in particular, once you're done playing, hormones change. Like, there's just so much that goes into it. And when you pile that on top of the already challenging transition of leaving sports and going into another, you know, another chapter of life, um, it can be really, really difficult. And I think learning to honor our bodies as much, if not more and respecting our bodies, probably needing to do it more than we did as an athlete, um, in life after sport is such an important lesson and such a challenging lesson, um, that at some point somewhere we have to learn. Um, and I think I could go into a whole nother conversation about that, but, um, I think that's I think that's really challenging to learn, but also really important. And it's going to look different for everybody.
0: Max, the word respect popped into my head as soon as you said that, because I always think like, in what world, in what world do we get taught how to respect our bodies? No way, bro. No way do we get taught how to respect our bodies in any way whatsoever. Um as this vehicle through which we're supposed to perform but to do it in a way in the way that we get taught how to do it right go until you're at empty and when you're at empty go some more like all kinds of stuff like that it's not respectful to your body in any way or like I always think um, when I go back and, and help out with the high school crew it's the same stuff. Now, in high school, obviously, things fall through the cracks. People are not, like, on your case over and over again about recovery. But in the high school realm, you have to advocate for yourself. But I wish you over and over again of, like, high school coaches will brag in college and say, hey, you know why I never sat out of a game? Because I never told my my trainer that I broke my nose that day. It's like, cool. And you get, like, a little badge of honor for that. And it's like, that's just not respectful for your body. So there's a lot of contradictory statements of, like, hey, you guys need to t- be responsible and take care of your bodies and whatever. But if you're going to miss a game because you have this nagging injury, don't tell your trainer, we need you to play. So it's like the priorities in sport, at least again, this is one of the reasons why rooting your identity in sport and trying to serve performance is not fruitful is always going to look for you to give, 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 and produce something regardless of how much is in your actual tank. And that, to be honest, sport doesn't respect your body or care. They just want you to actually do it and perform and win. Um, So anyway, slight tangent, Bex, once you threw that word respect in there, I was like, see, we don't get taught how to do it. And then you transition and everybody's like, oh yeah, you can respect your body this way and this way and this way. And it's like, where's, where's the truth in there? Where, where, do we start to reframe the actual foundation, like you were talking about the actual relationship, which then uh, like informs what that actually looks like. It's more of like a, let's treat the symptom and not the root issue when it comes to body stuff. But a uh, slight segue, I wanted to ask this question before we run out of time is when we talk about <clears throat> our relationships with our bodies, what gets reinforced in athlete culture? Now I did, I mentioned like a couple of things, but what do we think, um, yeah, what gets reinforced in athlete culture in terms of what the relationship with our bodies is supposed to be? And then how can that be counter to how God commands us to view our bodies even? What do we think? Whoever wants to answer first, can. Kind of
1: connecting a conversation with just having a question is thinking about this idea of pain <laughs> and so especially with track right basically track is is the training so i was um i ran 400 hurdles and also 400 meter sprinter long sprint <laughs> one of the hardest people would say it's one of the most painful 400 hurdle 400 meter because it's like a sprint but it's extremely long and you kind of just pushing your body to the absolute limit, pushing through every amount of pain possible, like absolute top capacity, right? Like to your limit, you mean you're, you're dying afterwards. Um, so the training is trying to constantly reach your limit and push your limit physically. So obviously what that entails is pushing through a lot of pain on a regular basis. And for me, one of my strategies was like, you have to learn how to ignore the pain. You have to learn how to compartmentalize it and not respond to it. Acknowledge it, but act differently. Everything in your body is screaming at you to stop, but you have to decide, you, you acknowledge that pain. It's hurt, it hurts. <laughs> and, but you have to decide to ignore that and behave differently. And so like learning, I mean, people have, my sister's like, Mercy. you have no idea how to listen to your body. You have no idea how to recognize sometimes what your body needs because you're so used to compartmentalizing discomfort and pain, thinking that if you respond to that, then it's weakness. But really to be a good steward of your body, you have to learn how to rest when you're tired rather than just pushing through because you think that's going to help you achieve or accomplish what you want to do. That's how you've been trained. That's how we've been taught, you know? Or like if you're hungry for a certain thing or nutrition, whatever it is, I mean, I think it's especially when it comes to to rest or or knowing limits. Like limits are not weakness. Limits are helpful. They help you sus- be sustained in, in lifestyles and everything. And so I think that's just one thing where, I've had to unlearn this kind of um, this process of, of thinking ignoring pain is actually the better route will actually lead me to success. And sometimes, yes, you have to persevere and endure discomfort, but also learning how to like steward your body and, and be grateful for your body and to be respectful for your body, all those things, learning how to like take care of yourself and rather there's pushing on these like strict regimens to completely, you know, push your body to the absolute limit, which ultimately is not sustainable. So,
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that's really good. I'm pausing because that's really good. Um, yeah. I think 100% rest of you're talking about in avoiding pain is, is one, one whole thing, but like Ignoring discomfort, for sure. Like um, there's always the, what's the question? There's always, I had a coach when I was younger that was like, are you hurt or are you injured? They're just like, are you actually hurt? Like for real, for real, are you injured? What's happening here? And in the position I play, I'm a goalkeeper. Those of y'all who are goalkeepers, people think we're insane because of the position that we play, we just stand there and let somebody kick the ball as hard as they can through us to score and hit the ground and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And what was interesting to me, as it relates to what you were just saying, was is we get nailed, I get nailed everywhere but my shins. We just shouldn't wear shin guards, but most often I get hit square in the nose often. And when we had a session once and we had a couple of kids in sessions get absolutely smashed about three times in a row. And it's a bunch of us as keepers in a session and two like forwards, and it's really funny because if you watch us, all of us are like, eat it, want to say whatever, or are just not phased at all. And our forwards are like, are we going to just sit here and act like this is a regular occurrence? And we're like, yeah, <laughs> because it is. Um, and our response is usually, you'll be all right. Unless your nose is broken, you'll be fine, which is questionable because concussions. But anyway, um, the slight digression, but the reason why that popped into my head of what you were saying is getting taught to just ignore all of that and just say, all right, I'm fine. Let's go move, move on to the next one. Suck it up. Don't be a baby. What is it? Rub some dirt on it. Stupid, hilarious, like funny things that people say all the time. Like, um, it's interesting with this new generation of athletes because there's a line to draw of like, when is it you're actually being a baby but that's a, that's a different discussion. I do think that generally speaking, it makes it hard for us to learn how to prioritize rest when this is kind of a nod to coaches. The minute you take rest, you're kind of vilified for it. So this is a, this is a PSA to coaches. Can we quit on? Can we just unlearn? telling athletes to rest and then making them feel bad when they actually do. I see it so many times of like somebody has like a nagging overuse injury and they're like, well, you're being soft. And it's like, you just told them to go prioritize their body. And now they're going to sit out of this training session and you're telling them they're being soft. So like, yeah, there's a lot of mixed messaging because now the next time If you don't rest that and you do make it worse, they're still going to be pissed off at you because you made it worse. So like coaches, can we chill? (laughs) Like let your athletes actually be people and recognize that we need to rest. And what rest means is not just sit on the couch and do nothing. It means like treat your body with some respect and you can rest and work hard at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, like concepts altogether. So anyway, yeah, I thought it was a really, a really, really good point of like having this dysfunctional relationship with rest. I know 100% I don't have a relationship with rest. Mercy loves to scream at me on a daily basis about that. So it's tough, but um, as a process to continue to learn of like, what is actual, what does rest actually look like for sure. But Bex, before Mercy yells at me <laughs> after I just said that, what are your thoughts?
2: First of all, I really appreciate the transparency of it's not like I have a dysfunctional relationship with rest or I have a hard really, I have zero relationship with rest. I, I appreciate your, your honesty. Rest and I are on an on again, off again relationship. So it's fine. Um, I think something that I'm continually coming back to and it comes back to our point prior to this one. And now this conversation, um, when it comes to respecting our body and I'm, I'm using, you know, my own experience for this, but when I was an athlete, I was so consumed with nutrition, but not so much nutrition, more restricting, um, and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing my body. And again, I think I want to say kind of like in old school athletic culture, like that was the standard and that was what was glorified. Um, And I think we are making moves to move away from that. Um, But I think it's interesting how we swing the pendulum, whereas something that's actually healthy to think about what you're putting in your body before you put it in and, working hard and pushing your body past your perceived limits. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong about those things, but when, when, when we are conditioned or, you know, whatever, there's a heart issue or something that's fuel, something negative that's fueling that. And we end up swinging the pendulum in a really unhealthy direction. Um, so I think, I don't know if this would be unlearning in athlete culture, but just like asking more questions of like, what are the motives behind certain things? You know, why am I so worried about what I'm putting in my body? Is it because I want to store my body well, or is it because there's, you know, a dysfunctional relationship with food? Like there's some other stuff going on there or like, why am I pushing so hard? Why? i was telling you guys before we started this podcast like training for a triathlon like why am i training for a triathlon like asking those questions and saying like okay is this behavior that maybe on the surface like looks healthy to the world is it actually healthy or is it fueled by something that needs attention and does some healing need to happen to make us more holistically healthy, and respectful of what our actual biological needs are.
0: Yeah, that's, I think it's a really good point. Asking questions why, and also for who are we, why, like what, whose approval are we seeking is the reason for why we're doing that. I think too, is a question to ask, um, more about when it comes to anything related, most things in sport, but also our relationships with our bodies, our relationship with food, all of it for whom and who sets the standard of what success looks like in X, in name, whatever context. Um, because I think to some extent we are perfectionists, but we also are like kind of glory hounds and we love for somebody to tell us that we're doing a great job. And I think if we go all the way back to like Versus conversation or comment on what your foundation is that informs who you do things for, and when we decide we want to live for God and play for God, compete for God, do whatever with God, I think that um, not only does our definition of success change, but we don't need to seek approval because we've already been approved via the gospel. So it's like. Um, yeah 100% asking more questions of like okay so why are you doing that and then it's it's less about who told you because it might be less about someone else told you this it could just be like your own narrative that you're painting about for yourself but like whose voices are you listening to is it are there things that are affirming who you are and actually whose you are are they things that are telling you that you need to be, you need to do things in order to be X, Y, Z. So that's my thought on that. But do you have a response?
1: I just wanted to add on, I really appreciate both of your wise comments and insights. I just also wanna say, sometimes we have to remember that we are created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. We weren't trained into the image of God people who have severe physical disabilities or handicaps, they are made in the image of God. We have our confidence and even our own perspective of who we are through the lens of this unshakable reality that we are made in God's image. You know, that we are beloved, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that we could have a relationship with the Lord, that we can have a hope for eternity. Um, And we get to be included and invited into this process of becoming refined, becoming in his likeness and his character, that our lives are filled with so much purpose that like, regardless, I mean, regardless of our bodies, regardless of even the things we can accomplish, like we are made in God's image, period, period, queen, okay? Like literally that, that this is. This is the truth that we have, that we've been given. Um, we are loved, that we have value. We have um, purpose and all of these things. So I feel like, you know, as we wrap up here, um, just trying to let go of shame, like to rebuke shame, to have an attitude of gratitude. Yes, I'm spitting bars out here apparently. But like, But exhibiting gratitude towards the bodies God has given us Exhibiting gratitude towards the fact that we are made in God's image, the fact that you know we can have a relationship with Him, and that our our identity is in something that is unshakable and secure in Christ. Um, I think sometimes that practice of gratitude can really, really um, silence those other voices in our head, um, the lies and the pressures that we can put on ourselves and our bodies that, um, I think the process in and out of sport is just important to continue to espouse um, as we walk this life of faith.
0: Yeah, bars left and right. Y'all need to rewind that part and just keep playing it over and over and over and over and over again. Just saying. Um, Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think so as we get to the end of our time, it would be necessary for us to leave the people. Hmm. I feel like with pieces of encouragement, similar to what Marissa was saying. And like, how do we, how do we begin this process of trying to unlearn what our relationship with our body can be, um, through or via our relationship with Christ. So Bex, I want to, I want to ask you first to start us off with this, um, pieces of encouragement. What do we think? How, like, what does this process look like for you at least?
2: What does this process look like for me? Um, I think again, bouncing off of Marissa's point of being made in the image of God, we didn't train ourselves into the image of God and therefore we don't train our bodies into being good. Um, they're just, the standard is that our bodies are good. Um, and again, in this world, in our flesh, it's certainly challenging to believe that. Um, but, but I, I think something, something that's been helpful to me and encouraging to me, and I know this is, you know, because of my own experience now as a coach, now as someone who mentors young athletes, and over and over in conversations when I've been having conversations with young athletes, guys and girls, you know, about body image and about, you know, stuff going on in that, in that realm. And I think about how I talk to myself and how I talked about my body when I was their age. And, and I was like, wow, I would never say these things that I was saying to myself to them, you know, and I think the reality of it is, realizing that like wow those things that I was speaking over myself those the shame the shame that I was piling on my body and my performance and all of those things were so not true and you know all that to say I think our emotions our culture sports all of these things in something that is so up and down and is so much of a roller coaster it's very hard to ground yourself in truth if you're looking for it there. Um, because it's like the truth changes on Monday, you're on top of the world, MVP, you know, articles written about you, whatever Thursday you're on the bench or whatever it may be. So if that's where you're getting your truth about who you are and where what your body is, how good your body is, um, you know, we're never going to be able to stand firm. So I think that would be my encouragement is seek truth. But if, you're looking for it in those places. You're not going to find it there. Um, so seek it elsewhere.
0: Yeah, Bex, really good. Um, yeah, I think in, in echoing your point, I would say this is a slight plug to our like is truth relative. What's the issue with that podcast episode we did with Sam Mercoli back in season one. So go back and check it out. It's called what is truth, but, um, yeah, I think 100%, like the goalposts are always shifting in sport culture. We're always changing It always shifts who the model of success is within your sport, regardless, right. Of whoever the goat quote unquote is at that time, what they look like, what they do, what their regimen is, what do they eat? How many times do they work out? Blah, 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 blah. Right. How they even play the game. If you think about basketball is the most obvious example, how the game has been played has shifted. Thus, the definition of success has shifted. Thus, the most successful basketball players look a little different than they might have back in the day. So I think, um, yeah, if I would echo your point, Bex, and leave one piece for anybody, it's we're called to uh Or no, we're created in the image of God and we're called to look more like Jesus. We're not called to look like, quote, your favorite sport athlete Instagram influencer of the day. That's not what it is. It's right. Now, this is like not in a very literal sense. We're not supposed to look like a 33-year-old man who, if you are a woman, that's obviously not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that our standard of perfection, our standard of excellence is not predicated on who's ever walked on this earth that never died and ascended again. That's not our standard. Our standard is on somebody who has never been subject to change. Also somebody who has endured way more than any of us who are athletes could ever think we have endured. So it doesn't mean go chase high strain, which I keep hearing about on these freaking stupid whoop bracelets. Like it doesn't mean go chase things like that, but what it does mean is that our definition of success is not, predicated on what we can do on this side of heaven it's already been finished because jesus said it was so so the conversation begins and ends there but before we run out of time marissa do you have any last points you want to leave the people with
1: i mean you guys already dropped some some gold on these listeners but i think just in the practical sense i would say learn to Speak the same kindness you do to others to yourself, kind of what Becca was saying. Show the same grace you want to show to others, show it to yourself. The the grace that Christ showed us, the gospel, we're called to administer it to others and also realize we need to administer it within our own heads, within our minds, within our own hearts, Um, and find community that speaks life into you, that reminds you of truth. We all have moments of weakness. We all struggle. We all have dark seasons and the Lord speaks to that. But sometimes we need to hear that through a person that loves us. Um, so find a good community that, that uplifts you, keeps you accountable, um, and have that discipline of gratitude, like force yourself to be grateful to your body, no matter what it's looking like, no matter what it's doing, even if you feel like your body's broken, um, I hurt my back and I was really limited for a while. And I, I have degenerative disc issue. That's like the rest of my life I'm going to have to deal with. I'm still grateful. Like, how can I practice gratitude in that? And realize, you know, that my value and um, my, my, yeah, just the worth I have as an individual isn't contingent upon the physical feats that I can do. Um, But it's who I am, my heart, what God has called me to. And it's really about God. So whatever if you can use if he can use a broken back to bring himself glory to to be a testimony, praise God. Like I need to be a I need to be happy with that. You know, whatever God calls us to in terms of our bodies, our capabilities, our capacities, our life, if it if we can submit it to the Lord, he will use it as a testimony for his glory. And that is something that we should desire more than our own physical accomplishments, feats, fitness, or anything. Like that's, you know, that's a gold standard. So
0: yeah, have people in your corner to remind you of that because we all we all need that. Yeah, so 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 good. Um, and don't let Marissa fool you guys; she'll dust you. Pick the pick the competition; she'll dust you. I don't care. <laughs> he doesn't do it to me though because I'm still what three and one at this point. But oh, you wish. I had. What do you mean? We I have think a. If your host
1: is a liar. That's messed up. I'm
0: not. First of all, okay, whatever. <laughs> we have a we have a crowd of witnesses. Every time we compete. Don't
1: be bringing Hebrews 12 into this. That's Hebrew 12 where it is.
0: (laughs) No pun intended. I was not intended. I promise. I was meant to say that we actually do have people who can vouch for it. Anyway, um, that was not meant to be a backhanded compliment. Marissa will dust everybody. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, But with that being said, we're out of time. Marisona, thank you so much for popping on the podcast. It's been such a blessing for me to bex to have this conversation and it's gonna be a blessing to anybody who gets to listen so thank you so much for being on yeah thank you guys
1: god bless
0: yeah man so you guys uh we're out of time and that's a wrap for for this episode so if you guys like what you're seeing if you're watching on youtube hit that red subscribe button at the bottom of the screen uh if you're watching on apple podcast spotify subscribe follow like whatever the heck the button is um so, you don't miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Behind the Mask 3132. Hit us up, DM us, throw something in the comments. We want to hear from you guys and continue these conversations. Uh, but until next time, we'll catch you guys later.